Good morning. Um, today's scripture reading is Psalm 27, from, um, written by David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At this sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not let me... Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Take a minute. Let's pray for me. I'm fixing to preach today. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are our light and salvation. We thank you that we can put our hope in you, for you are the everlasting God. And we thank you, Lord, uh, that we can trust you with all that we have. We have confidence in you, Lord, and we have confidence today that the words that you will share uh, through the man who stands before the congregation will be useful for their building up in their spiritual life. Lord, in advance of that, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I was... uh, talking to Teresa this week, and I said, uh, you know, honey, I'm, I'm thinking of going to the congregation with just three words this Sunday. It's not a homiletical masterpiece, but I've, I've felt that it's really important to just take these three words. And she said to me, but Mike, you know many words. Use some of them. And I said, but I just really just have three words, so I'm just going to share with you that. And I really feel compelled not to, you know, I love to thunder away up here, and I know Keith does. And, and sometimes we, we have those moments where I, where I feel that maybe even ourselves, we've all felt, well, that, that, that's a home run for God's uh, spirit today. I, I really felt compelled and called over the last week or so simply to come with a pastoral word this morning. And so I'm going to share with you three words, just three words of encouragement and three words I hope that will make a call to you to come closer to Christ today than, than where you were yesterday. So, so come along with me. Something I know for sure is that human beings, everyone, all of them, you, me, everybody else, yearn to be in a relationship with someone that we can completely trust. From the beginning of time, human beings have desired to be in relationships 
with someone that they can, some, with someone they can completely trust. Sometimes we get that in a friend. Sometimes we get that in a brother and sister. Sometimes we get that in a spouse. We, we get that in all different ways, but we all yearn for it. We all, we all crave it. And humans have a trust problem. We do. We have a trust problem. I remember that great cinematic theological masterpiece, Con Air. Have you seen it? In the middle of that movie, Russell Cage is standing there. And he says this line, which I think probably comes to all of our hearts at some level. He says, boss, there's two men in the world I trust. Me and you're not the other one. We got a trust problem. We have a, we have a trust problem, don't we? Because we've been hurt. Every single one of us, I am not guessing, I, I am projecting my life upon yours. I, I suspect that every single one of us, at some point or another in our life, has looked at another human being and, and been so hurt and broken, and in our heart, or maybe even our words, we say, but, but I trusted you. But, but I trusted you. And, and you snapped me in half. Have you had that? I was working on a project this year with a number of other uh, clergy friends, since the boss is here, I'm not going to say which ones. But one of my clergy friends said to me, we had a little meeting right over here in the Carnegie Building, we had a little meeting, and he said to me, don't worry about it. I've got this. I'll take care of it. I'll bring you the results at the beginning of May. I- I'll-, I'll be there. He did not. The meeting came, and guess who got burned? said, I'll do it. He did not do it. You ever feel like you have trust that's broken because somebody burns you like that? Have you had that? But let's not put the blame on everyone else for our trust problems. I, I was purchasing something a few weeks ago and working out some details with a guy and I'm looking across the counter at him and I said, oh, don't worry, I trust you. And he said, I wouldn't. I mean, we, when we don't trust ourselves, we got a real trust problem, don't we? And I know that in some deep recesses of our souls, in your soul and my soul, yeah, we, we maybe are not trustworthy. And, and you all have your stories. I mean, I know we could sit together over coffee or go downstairs and, and hear the stories of how we've not been trustworthy or, or others have not been trustworthy to us. And yet, and yet, we all yearn to be in a relationship, a human relationship of some sort, a relationship that we have that can, that can facilitate healthfulness and happiness in our life because we know another, we are in contact, we are in conversation with another that we can fully and completely trust. Into that timeless need, which I think spans every century, David writes with his pen, Psalm 27, to proclaim that every human being ever can have this relationship. That's what that, that one song, we only sang one song today. That's what that one song was about. To proclaim that every human being ever can be confident in having that relationship. Now, I know because I live in this culture that when I say something like that, well, I say Psalm 27, someone in our culture will say, the Bible, why are you putting the Bible in this? What, what relevance can it have? Well, let me tell you, well, like I tell them, David's life was lived on earth. Oh, we remember they picked up the rock and flung it in and stuck it in Goliath's head and then lopped that head off and he was the king of Israel and all that kind of stuff. But do you know some other stuff about David? Do you know that he was, of course, an adulterer, a liar, a cheat? 
And that he had a, a, a child out of wedlock that God cursed and it died. And then he had two sons and those two sons were in conflict over a horrible incident. And one killed the other. This guy was, was being pursued, David, his whole life through. People were encroaching upon him. His adversaries were surrounding him. So when you have a guy that has got evil on every side and has some pretty dark Mars and some soul in his, soil in his own spirit... Maybe he's the person that we can listen to when they say, I remain confident in the relationship I have. Because David boldly proclaims, trust in God's presence. Trust in God's presence. He is led, as I read this psalm, this this line kept coming to me that that I wanted to share with you as an encouragement that, that maybe faith is the courage to love the fact that you're loved. Maybe faith is the courage to love the fact that you're loved. Maybe that's what part of this is. Because Psalm 27 seems to be saying to us in the pen of David that the secret to faith is trusting that you're actually loved. Because truth, trustless living leaves us fearful. It leaves us paranoid. It leaves us alone. When we're, when we're suffering, and we do, right? When, when we're suffering... We sometimes can't escape the feeling that for some reason God has forgotten us. You ever heard this? Lord, oh Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you heard that one? My God, my God, why have you left me here alone? And David's message, as you read Psalm 27, and I, I just admonish you to read this, these psalms that we're working on this summer. David's message is, our God understands, and hear this, Christians, that the worst thing about suffering for anyone who loves God is the fear that God might leave us. We're afraid that God might leave us. And David says, trust in the Lord. Remain confident in Him. Because the, the, the timeless truth for today is that faith is trust. There's your first word, trust. I'm only giving you three words. Took me a lot of them to get there, didn't it? But I'm just warming up. Faith is trust. You know, we may have religion by birth or custom. You know, I've I've said I've met a lot of Methodist folks over my lifetime, and I said, "How, how did you become a Methodist?" Well, I was born into it. Okay. Or my family always went to the Methodist church. That made me a Methodist. Or I moved from a Methodist church, so I moved to your town, I became a Methodist. Oh, that's great. That's religion. That's birth, custom, tradition. That is not faith. Faith is where you place your trust. Faith, faith is, 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 it comes from, from seeking to put your trust in something or someone. See, God wants to show himself to all who desire to trust him. To all those who want a relationship with the Lord. I love, uh, many of you maybe uh, have been to this. We, we, many in this congregation have been to the walk to Emmaus. If, you, if you've been to Emmaus walk, can you raise your hand? I just want to see. See, there's some masks in here. So they can talk to you about this after I get done with this story. Raise them up again so people can really see it. I, okay, so you can see some of the people around you. I love walk to Emmaus, Emmaus walk. It's a, if you don't know what it is, it's a, it's a spiritual weekend retreat that you go and you, t- you go away from here. And guys, this is why, I want to tell you why it's really hard for men. You know the first thing they do on Emmaus walk? Check this out. 
They take this from you. And if you have a cell phone, they take that from you. I mean, you give it to them. Not, they don't rob you. They, they uh, in the name of Jesus, we're stealing your cell phone. No, that's not how it works. They, they take your watch from you because at Emmaus, you're not keeping time. You're, you're, you're taking time, you see. And, and at the Emmaus walk, I will say, and I'm t- speaking about one fellow that I talked about in that hallway right out here about five years ago. He went on the Emmaus walk and he complained. He says, I did not want to go. I wanted to go, but I didn't want to go. And as it got closer and closer, I dreaded going. I had to be gone a whole weekend. Mike, do you know what I do on weekends? Well, and I knew it was anything but that, probably. You know. And he says, I was afraid. I didn't want to go. I was afraid I'd be trapped in some place. I wouldn't have my car because, you know, they take you there. That's part of the shtick, too. They take you there. And then, then, then you're there. And he says, the hardest part was closing that car door behind me. But it still didn't get great, Pastor Mike, because you told me once I closed the car door, it would get great, but it did not. The whole first day, all I wanted to do was know what time it was and leave. But then I realized I should probably just enjoy where I'm at, and I started to listen. And I'd been coming to our church, Mike, for, for about 25, 30 years. I'd been coming here for a long time. So I'd heard you and Stan and others preach. But you know... I had religion. I'd never really trusted in God. And in the middle of the afternoon on Saturday, somebody was talking about trusting God with your whole heart. And I decided to do that. And guess what? When I finally trusted God, you know what I saw, Pastor Mike? I saw God everywhere. God in my family. God at my work. God in these people that are talking to me. God over here in the situations that got bad. I saw God everywhere when I finally trusted God. And he says, do you understand that? And I said, you know, he's always been everywhere. He said, I know. But I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't trusting him. See, we have faith only when our heart seeks and chooses and trusts in God. I believe seek and you shall find is one of the greatest laws of life. It's one of the certain laws of life. A miner never gets any ore unless they start digging a hole, right? A fisherman never catches a fish unless they bait a hook and get it in the water. A farmer never reaps any harvest unless they plow the ground and shove a few seeds in the dirt. And men and women will not find God unless they search for Him and desire to trust Him. Hebrews eleven six says this, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists. Spend some time thinking about that. That's an assumption in our lives as Christians. We must believe that God exists and that He wants to reward those who sincerely seek Him. See, let's get down to this. God sees you for who you really are. You know, I, I'm a camp guy. I go to Christian camps all the time. I have one little talk that's as regular to me as waking up in the morning, and that is that inside all of us reside three personalities. We all have three personalities. We have the one that you want all of us to see. And that's the one we're looking at right now. That's the one that took a shower, and if you're a guy, you sprayed axe all over you. <laughs> you know? You want to look good, smell good. That's the personality we want people to see. It's, it's how we dress ourselves up externally, internally. We, we have that personality in us. 
But we also have this second personality residing inside us. And, and that's the person we want to be. That's the person that we aspire to be. And that's, that's who would we be if, if all of our greatest aspirations, if all of our most important inclinations were playing out in our lives. That's the person we want to be. And then there's the third person that resides in us. And that's the person that we are. That's the person that's got some soil on his shoes. That, that's the person that has some darkness in their heart. That's the, some, the person that does some tremendously good things and also some things that aren't so good. And I just came by to tell you this morning that God loves that you because that's the you you really are. And he loves you so much he wants to help you to reach the one that you aspire to be. He's your deliverance. I mean, what David tells us is, he's the way out of the yuck and the muck. He's our salvation. You can trust in him. See, David placed his trust in God, and God saved him. God delivered him, and David proclaims and predicts the same for you. If you trust in God, he is your salvation and your light. Because salvation finds us in the darkness of fear, but it will not leave us there. Think about that. Salvation will find you in the darkness of fear, but it won't leave you there. See, fear, we all have this. Fear is that dark shadow that envelopes us, that wraps its life itself around us, and ultimately shackles us and imprisons us within ourselves. We, we create that for ourselves. And I would suggest to you, I, I would conject that every single one of us here has been a prisoner of our own doing at some time or another. We've been a prisoner of our own fears, of our own failings. And we conquer that fear by trusting in God who brings us salvation. As David says, salvation brings light. It brings light to the shadow. And a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Psalm 23, I said, uh, quoting Martin Luther, who's a lot more famous than Pastor Mike, um, that our religion, our faith is always in its personal pronouns. And, and we talked about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here David writes... The Lord is my light. It means the light for his very life. And I would, you know, extrapolate that to say he's the light for your very life. The Lord is my salvation. It's for his life, David's personal and specific life, and also the lives of all of us that would claim him. When something wicked this way comes, and, and it will, we understand that the enemies of our souls do not lack in ferocity. They are not deficient in ferocity against us, and God brings us help. God shines his light into the darkness. He shines his light into the fears of our lives. He shines his light into the sin and guilt that we carry with ourselves every day and shows us what's truly present. Hear this. He shows us what's truly present, which is him. He's what's truly present in the midst. That's why he, is, he doesn't say that God casts his light. He, his, he, he says he is the light. He's right there with you. He, he, he is lighting your darkness just like light illumines this room. He comes and illumines our light, which is why we can say and why I love what Paul said in Romans eight thirty one. You might know it in a different kind of uh, sentence structures, but what shall we say about wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If you have the victor of the battle that's already been fought, why do you need anybody else on your side? Go with the winning one. His light is in us, around us, and revealed in us. The powers of darkness that are not to be feared because who could ever be against us? The Lord is our light, and He destroys them. You know, we just moved. I was watching on CNN the other day. 
um, which is not where I ne- necessarily fall necessarily on my, my TV watching, but this, this happened, so I'll share it with you. We've moved from the greatest generation to what now CNN calls the age of anxiety. So we've got that going for us. Well done. We live in the age of anxiety. Think about it. Which is why it's so important for us to be anchored in God. In the age of anxiety, we can be anchored in God. Which is why I had Simon, you know, I mean, it wasn't like Simon did that randomly. Worked on that this week. Say, let's drill this into our hearts. I will remain confident in this. See, I don't sing. That's why I have him, right? But, but the words, well, that's why God gave him to all of us. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. I will remain confident. You've got to get the emphasis on the right place. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. You see, that's called anchoring. In the age of anxiety, you've got to anchor yourself in God because our trust then grows to confidence. And that's where I want to go secondly. Trust is confidence, your second word for the day. You know, those who, are, who have been found faithful, we cling to. You know, people that have gone in front of us that we find faithful, we, we cling to them because they give us confidence. They give us, they give us confidence in what God can do. I'm going to share with you three quick stories, and I promise to keep them quick because I can tell time. Years ago, we had a fellow in this congregation named Jack Hotchkiss. Remember Jack, some of you? Jack was one of the men that uh, was here for many, many years, and he was in the valley of the shadow. He was walking those last steps on the sojourn of life. And so as is our custom, we sent one of our communion stewards. I frankly don't remember who. I just remember this. But she went and she served communion to Jack on what, what turned to be his last night. And uh, she served it. And Juanita, his spouse, was there. Jack was there. And when she left the room, Juanita asked him, Did you enjoy communion? He said, yes, but who is that woman here with Jesus? I can remain confident in a story like that. Someone who sees the Lord Jesus Christ in the room that no one else saw. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of of the Lord. We, we had, I had a, an, an associate uh, a handful of years ago before I came to, to Marion in Webster City. I, I, I found an associate pastor. She was the same age as me. She came out of a seminary in, in Minnesota and was a great partner for several years. She was, she was in her early middle 40s and she had not yet found the man of her dreams. I'm sure at her age that she'd been in some relationships, but she hadn't found the person that, that, that God, she believed, was going to give to her as a spouse. And, and she, she was confident in this. And, and so many, I know, understand, just say, well, I, this is who I'm going to be, and I understand that. But Cindy kept telling us, she kept telling her, her, her prayer partner, she kept telling my little daughters to pray for her, because she always said this, I will remain confident that God will bless me with the right man at his time. I will remain confident that God will bless me with the right man at the right time. She prayed like that for the three, first three years she was with me. And then one day, the regional director of Salvation Army walked into my office and Cindy met him. He was also about my age. And they started to talk. And I said, holy cow, I've got to get me a new associate pastor. Because she remained confident. 
And now they've been married 15 years. And I did have to get a new associate pastor because he took her to St. Paul's. But, 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 but she's, her confidence level was so high that she had everybody, she convinced everybody to be confident with her. And you can cling to a confidence of one like that. And not so long ago, here at Marion Methodist, I, I was mean, I've met with a, a family over the age. And they, they had a son, you know, we have that, we live in the world. They had a son that was going sideways a little bit. Um, he, he'd been in some scrapes. He, 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 knew what he, he knew what he knew, but he also did what he did. And, and the parents were, of course, beside themselves. We would be, and some of us have been. And, and we're finding a way. But I remember sitting over there, and his father says, Mike, we have confidence that God will guide him to a good way. I thought, that's astonishing, because I kind of want to shove this kid in a garbage can. <laughs> Not give up on him, but I did just kind of want to contain him for a little while, you know. And here we are seven, eight years later, and guess what's happened? That confidence in God, by some power beyond what we see, changed that person to where he's a self-sufficient adult making a housing payment and acting appropriately in his life. Those parents had confidence that God would guide him to a good way. See, confidence comes from experiences of trust. I can trust in God more fully because I've had those experiences with other people. And the people that have gone before me that live their life in complete confidence and faith, I can cling and hang some of my faith on them. Don't you have those people in your life? Uh, Methodist nod appropriately if you have that. Okay. Don't you have some people that have put you in these pews today because you've, had, they've, you've seen such confidence in their faith that you say, I've got to be part of the body of believers, so I'm going to be there today. And I want to tell you, so I tell you that so I can tell you this. You had confidence in their faith, and guess what? Some people that aren't even born need confidence in yours. Okay? So you exhibit confidence in your life, in the trust that you have. We set our hope on you to see the goodness of the Lord. Faintness of the earth is where we need to go here. Let let me tell you this. We need to run to God first. Don't, Don't let it get out of hand. Don't let your lives get out of hand. So so often, many of our problems could have been avoided or they could have been handled more easily if we'd sought God's direction first. Don't run to God last. Run to God first. Cut it off at the pass. Cut it off at the throne of God. Cut it off at the strength that can really have strength. I'm not a tattoo guy. I know lots of you are. But if I ever got a tattoo, this is what it'd say on there. Throw up Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do. And get this, and He will show you which path to take. God is taking you somewhere. Where it is, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, it's awesome. If you have confidence in God... Have confidence that God is taking you somewhere. Last thing, I promise you. Third word. Confidence is hope. Confidence is hope. We set our hope on you to see the goodness of the Lord. Faintness of heart is a common infirmity, and hope's, hope is heaven's balm for our present infirmity. I, I want to tell you a brief story. Pretty potent, though, I hope. Years ago, I, I tell students here, you know, bef- before I came to Iowa, Pastor Mike used to be somebody. You know, I had this giant youth group that would more than fill this sanctuary on a Sunday night every week. And we'd have these big worship services, which meant it got so big that I didn't really necessarily know 
every student that was there, nor did I in a Sunday night see every student that was there. And so one Sunday night after we'd had our um, youth ministry, about an hour and a half, hour or so after we were done, I, this was before cell phones and email and all that kind of stuff, um, I got a call from Charles Schaefer, and he said, uh, have you seen Anna? Was she at youth tonight? And I said, you know, Charles, I don't know. We had, we had so many kids there. I don't, I don't know if Anna was there or not. I, I really don't. And he said, we've looked everywhere. We've called her friends. We've been to Pizza Hut. We've gone everywhere. Mike, would you drive back up to the church? Because they lived a piece off from the church. Would you drive up by the church and see if her car is there? And I drove up as quickly as I could. And actually, to my chagrin and horror, indeed, Anna's car was there way tucked in the corner of the parking lot and there was Anna a whole number of bottles of pills empty on her front seat and a two liter bottle of coke gone and Anna had made a very sincere run at ending her own life fortunately um, Pastor Mike knocked in the window of her car because she'd locked herself in there and uh, she, she was alive but not well and off to the hospital and ambulances and all that kind of stuff and uh Sat through the night with her, with her folks, who, of course, were frantic, you know, we would be, right? And, uh, you know, it's touch and go. We don't know if Anna's going to make it or not. But as she starts to wake up at about 2 o'clock the next day after they'd pumped all kinds of stuff into her, all chemistry stuff, her folks kind of back against the wall. I'd been praying all night. What do you say to a kid like that? What do you, I mean, what happened? I mean, this is, Anna was not like on the edge somewhere. This was homecoming queen, show choir kind of kid, you know? And so... When she woke up, she, she grabbed my hand and said, Pastor Mike. I said, Anna. You know, I'm doing everything I can to keep tears in because I love this kid. And she just looks at me and she says, is there any hope? I don't know if you've ever had your soul filleted, but that's how it goes. When some little kid that's got her whole life in front of you and as beautiful as you can imagine says, Pastor Mike, is there any hope? And all the words that I'd rehearsed all night didn't mean a thing at that point because she'd leaned right into the Jesus that I was praying for, praying to that night. And I said, Anna, yes. Yes, and absolutely there's hope. But you need to understand this, that the Jesus that died on the cross for you, he died so that you might have hope in your life. Our suffering may not stop. It may not go away. It might not even ever become meaningful. But you won't go it alone ever. And that's where your hope is. See, our hope is in the Lord. We lay our, our, ourselves into Him. In this land of the dying, in this land of the hunger, our hope is in the eternal goodness of God. It may be that our suffering never makes sense for you and I. But we won't be alone. Now, I can't tell you the end of Anna's story because Methodists called me and I went somewhere else. I do know that she graduated to adulthood and has a couple of children and I'm grateful and proud of that and I don't know if I've ever read from Lamentations in this place but I want to share this with you I say to myself the Lord is my inheritance therefore I will hope in him the Lord is good to those who depend on him who search for him so it is good to quietly wait for salvation from the Lord. We wait in hope. Now waiting in God for God is never passive. It's not passing. Waiting for God is actively and confidently seeking Him in your life. Now, I told you this wasn't going to be a homiletical masterpiece. 
But I was just going to come by and give you three words today. Trust. Hope. Confidence. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I give them to you.